everybody just stay standing. And we're going to read from Psalm 46. And I just want you to kind of close your eyes and just find encouragement and strength in these words. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roam, roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. God, Father, I, I just, I pray that every heart in this room today would be able to be still in your presence. God, and to know that you are God and I am not. I want to release everything that I am holding on to, God, everything that I'm not trusting you fully with, everything that I'm trying to figure out and fix in my own life. I release that to you this morning, God. You are God, and I am not, and I find so much comfort in that and so much freedom in that. Father, we need you. We know that you are our strength when we are weak. And so we want to humble ourselves before you, God, this morning, Almighty God, and just know the truth that when I am weak, then I am strong. When I am weak, then I am strong. Because Jesus reigns and he is on his throne. When I am weak, I am strong. We are still and know that you are God. And all God's people said, amen, you can have a seat. This uh, message this morning is going to be called Be Still. If, if you're like me, I'm a fixer. I hate it when stuff is unresolved. I hate not being able to solve people's problems, especially my wives. My wife's, not my wives, <laughs> sounded wrong. <laughs> my wife's problems. Um, I hate unresolved stuff. Like, you know... If you have an iPhone, I know this is how it is. I don't know if, if it's like that with Android too, but that little number, that little number next to the email or the text message, or what, I hate that number. Like, it lets me know, as long as that number there, something is unresolved. So I'll get rid of the number at the cost of, like, not reading an email, you know? So I hope I never do that to you, but, like, I hate the number so much. It's just, like, refresh email, open, number's gone. Good, right? I just hate unresolved stuff. I was talking to a friend on Thursday and just say, you know what, there's nothing that frustrates me more than when I have to say, I don't know. Or when I have to say to somebody, I can't help you with your problems. I, I just don't know how to help you. I hate that. 
Confrontation's another one for me. I, like, hate confrontation. And, I mean, like, you're, you're like, I don't know who likes confrontation. But trust me, I think we can all think of somebody who just, like, loves confrontation. Like, they live for confrontation. They live for drama. They just, like, pursue almost this stuff because they love living in it, right? Well, I don't like it all that much. I've had conversations in my head. I don't, you can call me crazy if you want, but... I'm sure there's somebody in the room that has done this as well. I've had conversations in my head before when I have to confront, confront somebody. And I will, like, make up responses for that person that I will respond to. And as soon as I've had the whole conversation in my head and their made-up responses get a good response from me in my mind, then I'm ready to go confront somebody, right? And then it is never as bad or the same as what I created in my mind, right? Just because I, I fear it, I hate it, I, I just don't like it. But everybody in the room has got something in their life that they don't like, that they're bad at, that even they're sinning in, that, we, that you just need to release to God. Like, we hold a lot of fear in a lot of areas in our lives. Am, am I right? Like, there's a lot of things, way more than just confrontation in my own life this morning, that I just need to say, you know what? Jesus didn't just die so that I could go to heaven. Jesus died so I could release everything that I am to him and give it all, put it all at the feet of the cross and just say, God, I, I completely, we saying, I surrender. I completely surrender everything I am to you. And what that means is on a daily basis, I say, God, all this stuff that I can't fix on my own, all this stuff that I have fear in with my kids, with my family, with other people, whatever it may be, I just surrender it all to you. I want to be still this morning and know that he is God. Whether it's confrontation, work, kids, germs, sickness, future, death, loss, trials, phobias, marriage, vehicles, other people, financial security, etc. The list goes on and on and on, right? You've got a card on your seat with a pencil there, hopefully. If not, look for an empty seat near you and there's probably one there. I want you to think about as, as this message goes forward, what is, if you were at Creekside Live, they had you do this there and I just feel like it would be a good thing for everyone to be involved in, but what is one thing or multiple things, all right, that you can write down on that card that is like, God, I'm holding on to this. I need to release it to you. I'm holding on to this. I'm fearful in this area. I'm trying to figure out this area of my life on my own. I release it to you, right? I want you to think about what that may be this morning. So let's read Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 6. Mark 14, starting in verse 26, sorry. Verse 26. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them... You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. 
And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them asleep, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time, and he said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise. Let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. What I just read happens, it begins right at the end of the Last Supper. And Kyle talked a little bit about this at the end of his message last week. We're actually going to refer back to it at the end of the message this week. But right at the end of the Last Supper, he starts in, verse 26. We're just going to kind of go through this, and you're going to see an emerging theme as we go. It says, they went... Uh, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Okay, this hymn that they sang, okay, it was believed to have come, the scholars think it came from the Psalms, okay, either Psalm 113 through 118 or Psalm 136. And here are some of the themes that are from those Psalms, okay? Who is like the Lord? Tremble at the presence of the Lord. To your name we give glory. I love the Lord. The Lord's faithfulness endures forever. His steadfast love endures forever. From whichever part of Psalms they were singing from, they were singing of the greatness of God and his goodness and his grace and his love for them. And Jesus, just before knowing that he was about to go out to the garden where he would be betrayed, is singing of the greatness of his Father in heaven. Okay, He's about to suffer the wrath of his own father, and what's he doing? He's singing to his father his greatness. Like how, if I knew a negative future like that, how hard would it be for me to sing of the greatness of God? And Jesus is leading his disciples in singing of the greatness of God. They went out to the Mount of Olives. You see, at Passover... Jews, everybody that was celebrating the Jews, they could not leave Jerusalem. The Mount of Olives is just north of, remember we, we looked at that picture a few weeks ago, just north of the temple, where they were looking down on the temple, he gave the disciples this last public address about the end times, okay? And the Mount of Olives is a, is a place where Jesus often would, would retreat by himself to pray, okay? Jesus probably daily would take time out of his day to retreat, Go be by himself with his father and pray. So this place, the Mount of Olives, held a lot of peace and comfort and tranquility for Jesus. And in this time, he needed to be in a place of peace. Verse 27. 
And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. That's an actual prophecy from Zechariah 13, 7, which at the end of his time in the Garden of Gethsemane, where we ended this right after that, Jesus is arrested, betrayed by Judas, and what, is, what do all the disciples do? Boom! They scatter, right? They run away in fear. And then he says, but after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. See, Jesus had confidence in the promise of his father that he would be raised again on the third day. And this, I find myself in this because time after time after time, I've got to receive the grace of God. Like I say to myself sometimes, listen, Nick, God has forgiven you. Forgive yourself. God has forgiven you. Forgive yourself. Because sometimes it's hard to receive God's grace when we're so hard on ourselves after we have failed to stand with Jesus. Jesus is confident and it gives him comfort that someday these guys that are closest to me, my inner circle, the people that I confide in the most, he's telling them, look into my eyes. When I'm betrayed, when I go to the cross, you're not going to stand with me. You're going to run in fear, right? But he also knows that, that soon when he's defeated death and he rises from the grave, these guys are going to be right back in the grace of God. I mean, that's, is, that's me, right? We've got to receive the grace of Jesus that even after we fail to stand with him. And I mean, this is... Think of your life. Where do we fail to stand with Jesus, right? But he died for us so that even when we fail to stand with him, he wants us back in fellowship with him. Verse 28 to 31. Let's go to verse 29. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And then Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same thing. See, Peter, he failed to understand his own fleshly weakness to do what God was asking him to do. He said, no, Jesus. He essentially was saying to Jesus, looking him in the eye, and Jesus tell him, look, Peter, this is what's going to happen tonight. You're going to deny me, right? Even though you, your intentions are good, you're going to deny me tonight. And what does Jesus say to him? Jesus, you are wrong. This is not going to happen. What was Peter doing? He was relying on his own strength to be able to resist the temptation that Jesus said was about to happen. How often do we do that? I mean, seeing things from a human perspective, in my own strength, I want to be strong and I want to fix every single part of my own life that I can, right? This is why for me, when something is unresolved or unfixed, 
I, I have a hard time leaving it alone, and I just want to fix it. My wife will tell me. She has to, to tell you. She has to tell me constantly, Nick, have you prayed about it? Have you prayed about it? Have you prayed about it? Stop worrying about this. You're trying to figure all this stuff out. You're trying to solve people's problems, but you haven't stopped and prayed about it. You haven't stopped to be still and know that the only person that can fix it is God. So stop trying, to, stop trying to figure it out with your own strength, right? When my version of truth and what is right and wrong is clouded by my lack of understanding of this one thing. Here it is. When I am weak, then I am strong. Or I should say it this way. When I am weak, then I can allow God to be strong in me. And then Peter did not, he, did, he just didn't get this. Let's break it down a little more. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10. But he said to me, this is Paul talking about Jesus. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness. So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, with insults, with hardships, with persecutions, and with calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Peter didn't understand that. Peter didn't get it. Listen, my flesh is weak to resist temptation. I cannot do it on my own. Verse 32. And then they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And then in verse 38, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Watch and pray. Like stay actually physically. Listen guys, this was Jesus talking to his best earthly friends. Okay? Peter, James, and John were like his closest inner circle friends. And if there was ever a time that Jesus needed his closest friends to stand behind him and pray for him and at least just stay awake, it was now, right? And so he's literally talking about, like, I want you to stay awake and pray with me. Because why? Because I need you. Like, yeah, I'm Jesus, I'm God, but I'm also man. Like, I'm, I'm fearful. I'm sorrowful to the point of death. I need you. And he's also talking about watch and pray so that what? You don't fall into temptation. Temptation of what? Fall away when Jesus is betrayed. When Jesus is betrayed, when we're asked to stand with him, are we going to stand with him or are we going to fail to stand with him? Right? The point here is to avoid temptation because of our own weaknesses. What do we do? We've got to be continually praying. We've got to be continually praying. I don't know how else to say it, but the, the number one offense to temptation is, yeah, the word of God and knowing scripture. Jesus uses that in his temptation, but we've got to be praying, and we've got to be watching our life. 
So pray that God through the Holy Spirit would empower us to be strong because we are weak to resist on our own. So we pray that God will be our strength to make right choices and react in godly ways to different trials and situations that hit us in life. The Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Listen, when he says that to his disciples, he's not talking about the Holy Spirit. His disciples didn't have the Holy Spirit yet, right? He's talking about, listen, I know that in your human spirit, your intentions are good. I know that you desire in your innermost being to do what is right, right? But your flesh is not going to allow that to happen, right? And I mean, this points directly to the gospel. The fact that we cannot save ourselves. The fact that no amount of good intentions is going to get us to the right place before God, right? I mean, that's what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that just a good moral compass is not going to get us to heaven. Just good intentions, just a willing human spirit is not what's going to get us to heaven, right? Because in every single situation, and find yourself in this, because I really, I'm like preaching this to myself. In every single situation, I may have good intentions, but my flesh is so weak. And I will fall to temptation if I am relying on my own strength and my own power to get me through, right? My own good intentions, my own desires to do right are not enough. My flesh is weak. In order to come at life appropriately in every single situation, good or bad, easy or hard, we need to be still, sit often, every day, like Kyle was talking about that last week. Sit at the feet of Jesus, right? Like, that's what I want this to be here this morning, right? I mean, after the message, we're going to sing some more songs. And the, the, the cross is central, right? Not Jesus hanging on Jesus isn't on the cross. Jesus is risen. And because Jesus is risen, he has sent his Holy Spirit to live inside of us. Talk about having power inside of you to be at peace, to make right choices, to live the way God wants us to live, and best of all, to commune with God the Father, right? It's no longer my human spirit. It's no longer my flesh because I'm going to feed the spirit of God in me. So we spend time at the feet of Jesus. We rest, we are still, and let him, as we admit our weaknesses and we stop trying to solve life, let God be our strength. Let's look at Jesus' response in, con in contrast to Peter saying, listen, Jesus, you wrong, right? I know you're a rabbi. I know you are the son of God, but you're wrong. Like, I am not going to turn my back on you, right? What happens with Jesus? Verse 35. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. 
And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. Man, that, that word yet holds so much meaning and weight. Because here's the thing. Jesus had his own desire. He's like, listen, Father, I know that mankind is sinful. I know that this was our plan. Like, this was your plan for me to go to the cross and, and die. But you know what? The worst thing about going to the cross was not the physical painful death. It was the fact that his father was about to turn his back on him. Because why? Because God the Father is holy and he has to turn his back on sin. He poured out his wrath upon the sin that we should have had. Do we get this? I don't know if we get this, right? The horrific death of Jesus was one thing. But the emotional pain that he knew he was about to endure because the wrath of God that was reserved for sin was poured out on Jesus. And so what Jesus is saying, God, I know, like, I know that this was our plan. But if there's any other way, now is the time to speak up. Right? If there's any other way, please, please, please let it happen this way. Jesus didn't want to go die. But other parts of Scripture says that for the joy of my salvation, for the joy of your salvation, he stayed on the cross, right? I mean, while he was on the cross, he was mocked time and time again. If you're the son of God, bring yourself down. The thieves that were with him on the cross, one of them was continually mocking him, saying, dude, if you're really the son of God, let's get down and book it, right? Let's go. What is, why are you just hanging there if you're really the son of God? For the joy of the fact that he was going to save your soul, he stayed on the cross. But there was an immense amount of pain involved. Mentally and physically. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. Like how often can I say that? How often can I say that when I'm about to enter in, into a situation where a lot of pain is involved? How often can I say that when I'm in the midst of a painful situation? God, this is what I want. We pray this all the time. And I think this is a good prayer. We pray for sick people, right? We pray, God, our desire, our desire is that you would heal this person. Why? Because we know, we believe, we have faith that you are powerful enough to heal this person. But we trust your plan. And whatever your will is, you're going to receive glory, right? This is why next weekend I'm, I'm going back to Connecticut to be a part of my cousin's memorial service. And if there is one thing that I'm confident of in the midst of all of this, I've asked the question, all right, God, I know that sin and death, I know that death and suffering and sickness, I know that all those things exist. Because of sin in the world, right? But a 33-year-old man with a, a wife and a son and a daughter on the way, like, God, you could have healed him, right? 
but he didn't. And so after the, that process for me, I get to go next week. And I get to read scripture at his memorial service, fully confident. God, you didn't heal him. But I know your plan and your purpose for all of this is so much bigger than I can imagine. Like, I am fully confident that God's going to do immeasurably more than I could ever ask or imagine. I've been contacted by several unsaved, I know they're unsaved people from high school that went to high school with us, contacted me on Facebook and said, hey, when's this memorial service? I want to be there, right? I know I'm going to have opportunities. I know they're going to hear the gospel. I know God is going to receive glory because of this. I didn't want it. I prayed day in and day out that he would be healed. And he wasn't. Jesus didn't get what he wanted, but he obeyed for the purpose and will of his Father because he knew it was best. He knew that it was good. And you know, I'm thankful that he did in those moments because it resulted in our salvation, right? If Jesus, if Jesus pushed against the will of his Father, right? If he didn't understand, it's not my will. Not my will, but yours be done. Our salvation. I mean, you have a card in your hands, right? Where are you at? Where are you this morning? What do you need to release to God? You, it may be that you're here this morning, you, re, you need to release it all to God. Like you, you are not, you have not come to Jesus for salvation. Like the cross is here and we believe that Jesus died on the cross so that I could be free. So that my sins could be wiped away. You know what? If that, I mean, if that's you, you just today is the day of salvation. You don't have to know everything. You don't have to be in a perfect place. You don't have to be right before God because Jesus died for us. Why? When? While we were still sinners, right? So give it all to him. And then it, and then it goes on every single day after that for the rest of our life. This is us working out our salvation. This is us living in, the, in, in what salvation says that we are, children of God. But it's him saying, I want you, I want you to fully trust me with every single detail of your life, right? So where are you this morning? What, what's going to go on the card? In a moment, we're going to take communion. We're going to remember Jesus' sacrifice for us. But before we do that, I want to talk about the word cup. I think that this is super cool. Verse 36 says this. Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. This cup that he's talking about, right, means two things. For Jesus, it meant that the wrath of God reserved for sin was about to be poured out on him. I mean, like, 
Picture that, a cup, the wrath of God poured out on Jesus. And because the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus, what is the cup that is poured out on us? The purification of our souls. Okay, so Jesus gets the wrath of God poured out on him, and we get the purification of our souls, the redemption of our souls. We are bought back into a relationship with God Almighty because the cup of the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus. Go back to the previous passage, like right before this. This is where Kyle ended last week. This is where we're going to end this week. Right at the end of the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper, it says this, as they were eating, this is verse 22, as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, this is, take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. They all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom. Bear with me here. In the Passover celebration, there was four cups during a Seder meal. There was four cups that um, would be used in some way during the feast, okay? The cup that Jesus took during the Passover meal with his disciples was thought to be the third cup, okay? And traditionally, the third cup was known as the cup of salvation or the cup of redemption. And what Jews would do is traditionally they would take that cup and they would set it aside, right? Because the Jews were eagerly awaiting for the coming Messiah. So they would set it aside saying, hey, we're still waiting for the coming Messiah, right? Pause there. In that day, in Jesus' day, when a young man wanted to marry a young woman, right? You go, I'll, I'll use me and my wife as an example, right? So I want to I marry Heather. I would go to my father, okay, Brian Reed. I say, Dad, I got to have her. Like, I got to pursue this woman, okay? Let's do it. Let's go for it. So, Brian Reed would go to Raleigh Clarkson, and he would say, what can I, uh, what can I sell you for, for my son to marry your daughter, right? And so the father of the man would go to the father of the woman, and they would make a deal, okay? The father of the, the man would have to pay the father of the woman, and this was not a guarantee that he would get to marry the girl, right? He was actually paying. He was only paying for a chance to get to ask for the girl's hand in marriage. Like, I, I didn't pay you nothing. Like, my parents didn't pay you nothing, right? I don't think they did. Right? All they were buying was a chance for this young man to ask the girl to marry. And then, this is embarrassing, but they would all get together, both families, like brothers, sisters, aunt, everybody. They would all get together around a table. They would have a big feast, okay? And at some point during that feast, the young man would take a cup full of wine and he would drink it. And then he would very intentionally go up to that young woman and offer it to her, right? This is the same thing as, okay? Right? So he would take this cup and he would give it to the young woman. At that point... The young woman, 
okay, had the choice, yes or no. She didn't say anything. She took the cup if she was going to say yes, and she would drink from it. If she refused the cup, that was a no. We're not getting married, right? Then the man, if she took the cup, drank it, he would go and for six months or so would build an apartment. Like the word in some translation is mansion, but that's translated apartment, so not that glorious. Apartment, and what is worse is, <laughs> I'm going to be in trouble for this later. What is worse is it's on, attached onto his father's house. Like how many young women in, the, in here do not appreciate that right now, right? Attached to his father's house. After he's done, he's like, hey, dad, how about it? Did I do a good job? The dad has to say, yes, it's ready And the man would then go travel and pick up his bride. And she would, at that point, this was a marriage ceremony. Like, there's no super big planning going into it. She would say, people would yell, hey, so-and-so, your groom is here, your groom is here. She would walk down the stairs, out the door, down the aisle, done. Right? And then he gets to take her home. Right? Do you see how cool that is? That would be horrible. But how cool that is. Jesus is sitting there with his disciples. Okay? So you've got to picture this happening this morning. First of all, he takes cup number three. The cup of salvation. Traditionally set aside. Right? You don't drink that cup. Jesus takes that cup. And in taking that cup and drinking from that cup, he was essentially in the most loud kind of way, not volume loud, but loud kind of way to them, being Jews, he was very explicitly saying, I am the fulfillment of your redemption. Like, this is not an abomination. I'm allowed to take this cup and drink it because I am the Messiah. Right? And then, okay, they didn't just normally drink cup, pass it around, okay? What Jesus does at that point in the way that he handed this cup to his disciples, he's saying, I'm the Messiah. Will you marry me? Right? So he's asking his disciples at this point, you've got a choice to make. This is the Messiah's covenant with you. The covenant in my blood that you now have a choice. Are you going to drink it or are you going to refuse it? And what does this say? They all took it and they drank it, right? So what does that mean for us this morning? Band, you guys can come back up. What we're going to do here is we're going to take... The bread, Jesus says, this is my body broken for you, right? And then we're going to take the, the juice. And when you take the juice, that's Jesus offering you the cup. Like, will you marry me? This is why we believe that this is a big deal. The people in the room that know Jesus as their Savior, when we're doing this, 
we're, we're reminding ourselves of the fact that, like, yes, I said yes to Jesus. Throughout Scripture, the church is called the bride of Christ, right? So Jesus is offering us to say, yes, I will marry you. And then he has gone up into heaven to be with his father to what? Prepare a place for us. And he has asked us to be faithful to him while he's gone, right? Because someday what's going to happen? His father is going to say to him, go get your bride. Their mansion is ready. Now, I tell you, I don't think it's going to be an apartment, right? Their mansion is ready. Go get your bride. And then Jesus can come back for us. Isn't that cool? So as you take the juice this morning, it's not just we're remembering Jesus. We're saying again, yes, I'm committed to you, Jesus. And if you don't, if you don't know Jesus, if Jesus is not your Savior this morning, first of all, today is the day of salvation. Like this is the offer that Jesus has for you. Will you be committed to me? Will you marry me? And then after you take, even if you go to the back, make your way to the front eventually, I want you to write on that card what you need to release to Jesus. Because when we said yes, if you're married, you said yes to your spouse. You said yes, I'm going to give you everything. Right? You became one. We said yes to Jesus. Yes, I'm going to give you everything everything and we become one so we're giving Jesus everything what do you still need to give to him this morning write it on the card and leave it at the feet of Jesus so come and take communion and leave it at the feet of Jesus let's pray God we want to be still and know that you are God we don't want to hold on to our fears we don't want to hold on to the things that we are still trying to resolve and solve in our own strength because it will only lead to our, our pride and our downfall. And, and God, we, we want to be free. We want to be free from all that because you offered us the cup and said, will you marry me? Right? God, so I just pray that as we sing, as we worship God, that you would just lead us in your spirit to let go of everything that we need to trust you with. Leave it at the foot of the cross and walk away, trusting in God our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. We love you, God, and we need you. In Jesus' name, amen. As we go and do this, this first song I just want you to sit and listen to and be still and know that he is God. And then after this first song is over, you can start taking communion and leaving your things at the foot of the cross. Father God, we just thank you for this time of worship that we've had. 
Thank you that you have given us everything so we can come in here and we can be overwhelmed to worship you. And I pray, Lord, that you would continue this in our lives throughout the week uh, as, we, as we go to our jobs, as we go to our homes, as we interact with our neighbors, with our friends and our family, Lord, that we would want to live and sing for you. And Lord, I pray that you would be able to help us Go from here, Lord, and find that peace that only comes from you, that we'd be able to be still and know that you are God, Lord. And so thank you again for salvation and all you do for us in your name. Amen.